Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. the horniest you've been at a pizza place has been <laughs> like on a scale of one to, what <laughs> on a scale of uh one to six pizza slices <laughs> basically allison and i were picking up uh some pizza from this place uh Cappy's. okay I think there's a few different locations i don't know if it's like a big chain or not anyway sure um, the, the neat thing about them is they do a uh, deep dish and I was, <sighs> mm, I was so ready for some deep dish. I hadn't had any in a while. I was ready to, you know, eat some pizza cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I mean, what, where do you stand on deep dish? Are you offended by it or? Uh, I'm not offended by it, but it is a pizza pie. Literally. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not my f- go to pizza. I'll say that. Right, right. Okay, well, anyways, so there's this couple in a booth. And I'm having this I'm having this conversation while we're waiting for the pizza, and Allison is just staring over my shoulder. Huh. And she texts me and is like, the girl in that booth is sucking on that guy's fingers. Uh, what? And just, you know... I <laughs> are we all that starved for human interaction? Jesus Christ. That's not very COVID safe. If I do say No, no. I mean, you know what? I'm I would hazard to say that would barely be acceptable if COVID wasn't. Yeah, going on. I was gonna say, wait, yeah. Oh my god. Uh but I, I wish <gasps> I really wish I really wish I could enjoy weird stuff yeah. happening at restaurants again yeah because i want to be charmed by dirty restaurants again is that weird to say no no it's i, I understand where you're coming I, from with that i want to go into a grimy diner and just you know i'm i'm not there for anything fancy i'm just there because you know it's it's fun it's a little, <laughs> it's, little diner right it's fun uh, and yeah and i and I would, and I really want to just really bask in the weirdness of the variety of people that might show up there. Right, and this couple that is, you know, really just really into each other. They just really haven't lost that spark. And, um, you know, they tipped in cash and everything. That's they were good. very nice to their to their host. I think. Right. But um. But yeah, just uh, just really going at yeah. it. The guy like started like climbing onto the table at one. Oh point. my gosh! Wow. <laughs> yeah, but I was very I was very invested waiting on that deep dish pizza. <laughs> this is very much a sir. This is a Wendy's uh, vibe to it. <laughs> <laughs> now let me add, let me say this. Though. I have a theory. Okay. What if she was just really hungry? And wanted the rest of the grease. 
from the pizza. So she's like a remora. A what? A remora. Is I don't know what that is. City boy. <laughs> oh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> remora are those fish with the suction cups on their head. They stick to the bellies of sharks. Oh! They, like, eat the, they eat the scraps that come off of it. I did not know what that was called. Okay, I learned yeah. something today. Well, I... like, okay, so clearly you have not heard the Jimmy Buffett classic fins. I have not, admittedly. No. Where, uh, what, what? I think it's in the final verse where she says, now she feels like a remora Cause the school's still close at hand Just beyond the reef are the big white teeth Of the sharks that can swim on the land Wow That's a real, that's yeah. a good Jimmy Buffett lick right there I like that Yeah, huh. thanks, yeah <laughs> I, uh, I thought he was talking about real sharks Oh, okay When I was yeah. a kid like Because Jimmy Buffett's songs got me very excited I thought he really was like singing yeah. about Vampires, mummies, and a holy ghost And right. sharks And um, I wasn't entirely sure What Gypsies in the Palace was about Okay, yeah and Sorry I had sorry I had to drop the G-bomb But um, Yeah, I, I, I can't say I was entirely sure What that was about Until later yeah huh yeah i uh, you should really i think focus <laughs> on jimmy buffett um um studies zan that should be an elective somewhere i this, really think, I think so. yeah he's very prolific <laughs> he has a lot of work out there he really I, does i would be totally into if we spent an entire exhibit just talking about um his kind of rock opera <gasps> kind of first attempt at a broadway show um don't stop the carnival yes where uh yes oh that i tried God. to sh that i really tried to force on you in italy <laughs> um yeah but it's such a uh, mood it was such a post-apocalypse mood like yeah oh my god yeah champagne si aguano we're gonna i'll make some calls we got to get the budgets in we're gonna have to talk about that yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna have to talk about that without getting uh flagged for uh copyright. <laughs> yeah, true, on Jimmy true, Buffett true. music. Oh, we bleep everything. I, yeah, um, I mean, ev ev I'm fascinated by so much of that, in including my own willingness to accept that that was a normal thing to uh, <laughs> listen to as a child. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I I can't even. You know what I've realized growing up is like. A lot of kids my age and like a lot of people in Florida in general don't even know that much of the deep cuts of Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Just very specifically, my dad right. was listening to these Jimmy uh, Buffett songs that I don't think anyone else is aware of, except maybe maybe the McElroy's. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I feel like, though, that was a service done well to you. You now have that in your metaphorical music toolbox to use in any situation. So yeah. do with that what you will. I mean, while you were listening to Jimmy Buffett in the car on your way to school, if that's how you went to school, I was listening to the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers soundtrack on CD on my way to elementary school. Uh, so a real, a real, uh, uh, what do you call that? A uh, soundtrack listener from the day days in and out for me yeah i mean to if i think now at least when i was driving myself me and my friend isaac would drive into uh because 
we lived on the gulf side of the peninsula hmm. of tampa bay right uh, of, of clearwater so we're all the way uh on the intercoastal and we had to drive across that peninsula and then over tampa bay to get to high school mm. so it was like this like 30 to 45 minute drive every Jesus. morning um and it could be as long as an hour if traffic was bad Oh my god! But that's one. Yeah, no, we had to leave super early in the morning to get to school, that's and we brutal. would take turns driving. But the thing we would listen to a lot of the times was uh, this show called Hot Mornings with Jade. Oh, yeah, where uh, they would prank call people, kind of. Um, <laughs> basically, people would call in uh, with like roommate problems. Uh, and say like, hey, can you call my roommate and say like, I'm your landlord and uh, I, uh, I f- I'm in your apartment right now. What's your bong doing here? Um, or people would uh, people would have go on bad dates and then they would call Jade and I forget what his what her sidekick, <laughs> her like dude bro sidekick's <laughs> right. name was, <laughs> but they would call her and say. I went on a date with this guy and I have no idea what went wrong. Did <gasps> you call him and ask him for me? Oh my, wait, it's this show? Is this yeah, the Yeah, Hot Mornings with Jade. Continue, I have a, I have a revelation to make, continue. And the, thi- the thing that I remember, the thing that I remember was like, so okay, to, to paint a picture, this is 2012, 2013. And this uh, girl comes in and she says, or she calls on the phone. She says, I went out with this guy and he took me to a concert our first night out. And then I never heard from him again. And uh, they're like, oh, what was the concert? And she said it was an acoustic Sister Hazel concert. And Jade is like, oh, that's so sweet. And the guy is like, oh, yeah, that would have been sweet 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> just, just It just starts ripping on Sister Jeez, Hazel. Jeez, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. I, okay. Is this the one that was like trending? This just sounds familiar, this show, because I know there was one that was like that where like they would call people's dates and be like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, oh, well, went wrong. We're calling from this morning show and, you know, what happened on the date? Mm-hmm. And then these people would like reveal these crazy stories about the person or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It would it, always turn out because like that that person had done something yeah really wrong right and just had not figured it out well i heard that these things are uh fake the the, what? the sh- you're telling me radio is fake <laughs> I, uh, yeah what? you're telling are you trying to tell me <laughs> i can't trust bubba the love sponge <laughs> i am i am well like Aww. no i watched a random video about this and they were like ex- not exposing but they were just talking about like how crazy some of these radio shows are and like I don't know. Yeah. I feel like at a time I believed that one of those was like real. Of like, yeah, the the radio yeah. calls random people and accuses them of like, you know, leaving yeah. people. Why not? That's probably true. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I oh think when I was a little older, I was willing to reevaluate those and be like, oh yeah, that was probably all fake. Yeah. But it was, you know, you're in high school, it's fun, it's radio, it's like, you know, it's not like 
I don't know. We weren't listening to Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah. No, I fair f- enough. I forget some of the other radio personalities' names, but like people that call into Florida radio stations are fucking. <laughs> oh my god! I can't imagine. I literally can't. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm just like you're just on the beach and you're listening to someone yell about 9/11. Oh it's god. Like 2010 at that point. E. <laughs> oh man yeah that's uh yeah that sounds hectic but um i you know i did get to experience some of the uh landscape of Florida oh. recently. that was kind of nice and different Interesting. Um, allison and i went I, I think i mentioned this before we went on a uh camping trip to kissamee prairie preserve oh and um, it's interesting because it was one of the last places the Carolina parakeet uh, <gasps> lived. Really? And there's actually a statue of the Carolina parakeet there. Oh, my God. It's like yeah. our bird memorials we have here. Yeah. Have you ever seen a Florida prairie? No. I, you didn't think that existed. Mm, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a prairie, but there's alligators. Huh. Yeah. Man, the prairie dogs are really changing out there, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> there goes the neighborhood, am I right? <laughs> oh my god, no. No, but I mean, the interesting thing about it is Florida is so flat. It's, yeah. At least for me, living out west, it's very... it Like, there's not even the rolling hills. There's not like, you know... You, it's not like you can see the Rocky Mountains way off in the distance. Yeah. Like, when you're you're kind of in the flat part of montana uh it is it, it is incredibly flat you can see mm-hmm. very far but the weird thing about it is yes there's tall kind of there's kind of tall prairie grass but then it's intercut with uh saw palms uh so you've huh. got like all these little mini uh palm fronds coming out through the prairie grass and then if you look, there's a grove of trees. But as you get close to it, you realize it's a grove of palm trees. What? And it's just the shape is so bizarre because you're looking out over the horizon and it's just these balls, these clumps. And it's so like it's the most Dr. Seuss-like landscape, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like you've wandered into Gertrude McFarland's <laughs> or Lorax. Right, know? yeah. It, it's one of those it's like so it's like those types of trees. It's very bizarre, very bizarre landscape uh, that uh, I, I really did enjoy. I mean, nice. I, I don't know what the uh, what the wilderness escape is like in New Jersey. Like, do you uh, ever get down to the Pine Barrens or? I mean, I practically live in the Pine Barrens. So, I mean, yeah, really, the Pine Barrens are all around me. No, um, yeah. but looking for I'm the in the Jersey Devil. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Looking for the Jersey Devil. He's he's near me, actually. I think I think I don't mm. remember, man. The lore is whack. But Jersey's weird because you'll go from swamp to pine barrens Mm -hmm. to ocean Mm -hmm. seascape land to Mm -hmm. the mountains. Uh And then you'll run into potentially uh, panthers or mountain lions if you go way too north. And bears, but like black bears. The real swamps in D.C., if you know what I mean. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. Apparently, there used to be. Um, I don't know if there still is, but I know there was a rattlesnake that was on the endangered species list in the Pine Barrens. Oh. That's a random animal fact for you. I don't know why I know that, but um, 
and and you kind yeah. of only half remembered it at that. Yeah, yeah, I half I half baked <laughs> animal fact. <laughs> uh, well, no, it's it's Jersey's landscape is actually very strange, and I mean, like we we make kind of fun of people because it'll be like, you know, there's no center Jersey, right? It's north and then there's yeah. south, and it's it's weirdly true how different it is. Like, I like to think that if you leave New Jersey and you meet somebody from New Jersey, it doesn't matter where you're from. You kind of get it. Like, Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. The Beach, New York, Philly. Yeah, fine. It's all yeah. the same. But there is specific differences. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. one of them. Because, like, I have friends that live in the literal mountains. And yeah. there is no mountains to be found where I am, but just tall pine trees. If you go far- or farmland or, con- like, countryside is really, like, mm-hmm. if you leave my... Mm-hmm area it's it's countryside and then forest and uh then ocean but you have to go through the forest because yeah. of the ocean it's a whole thing but it's pretty wild yeah i i never i never had a i don't think as bizarre lorax-esque uh landscape you know yeah uh, what do you call that experience that you've had but at the same time like i feel like i feel like i had something similar when i went to north jersey for the first time like driving myself mm-hmm. through areas i've never been where you're like suburbs 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 oh, that's a mountain? That's mountains? Or hills? Yeah. They're really hills, but they look like mountains if you've only seen flatland your whole life. So, yeah, it's yeah. pretty bizarre. I mean, it's, um, what's that, that that bizarre Dan Aykroyd movie, Nothing But Trouble? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where it's like, you could, it posits that somewhere between driving from New York to Atlantic City, you accidentally end up <gasps> in, uh, Oh, the pineys <laughs> in in a in a coal mining town. Uh, yeah, that's a whole thing we'll have to get into eventually. The pineys, the pine, uh, the peoples of the pine barrens. Yeah, that, the United Peoples of Pine Barren. I, I mean, yes, it's pretty wild. My my aunts encountered them once or twice, uh, but mm-hmm. like they do. It, it's I don't really know much about them to say it without I don't think being in a sense disrespectful. So I'll I'll watch what I say, but essentially it's a group of people that just live in the pine barrens and they just do their own thing and they don't like if you cross them. I've heard from my friend who I think is more what you would call North Jersey. Uh huh. Uh, he drove me through there once or nearby to pick up his guitar player from in his band. Okay. Um, and he referred to it as Bumblefuck. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. <laughs> it, it yeah. Because it's like, I think you, you have that, like a spe- like very, very specific group of people. But then there's also the, yeah. just the culture surrounding the Pine Barrens. Yeah. It's very much, you know, it's like country. It's redneck. It's trucks. It's cool. Whatever. I could see parallels between you know, I think every state kind of has this but I'm I'm it is particularly reminiscent I think of Florida where it is very different inland Florida versus coastal Florida mm, um, yeah you know where I th- you it's it's just different demographics, different lifestyles, just yeah, very, very different. Uh, depending on where you kind of you kind of are. Well, yeah, I mean, your geography will definitely shape the way you are, and I think the culture you're around mm-hmm. for sure. And I mean, like mm-hmm. you see that I think on a macro micro scale, definitely, definitely yeah. in the United States for sure. 
And I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I think it kind of weirdly relates to our exhibit here. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, people point out quite a lot about the disjointedness of the United States. And mm. one thing that I've kind of tried to explain to people that that ask about it, I don't like go around Europe shaking people by the collars, <laughs> you know, telling them about it. But if I am asked about the wide discrepancies of people in the United States and, you know, the things that are so disagreed upon is you have to understand that it's 50 different governments yeah, working together or trying to work together. You have people living in regions that their ancestors came there or were brought there for very different reasons than someone else's ancestors. And this isn't like Europe where we're talking about <sighs> yeah. hundreds or thousands of years. We're talking about things that, you know, we have records, we have people's names, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's a quite a, it's, it's a different scenario than trying to, uh, than trying to have sort of a mythology that paints as, as much. And I'm, 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 I'm talking in very broad terms here because I, I can't, you know, erase the, uh, nor would I want to, you know, not talk about the, you know, uh, uh, the, the racist implications of, uh, manifest destiny and everything that's gone on in the United States. Oh yeah. But in the United States where we do not have an ethnic, uh, mythology really, mm-hmm. because even if you are in the ever growing absorption of white America, which, you know, because has continued to include different ethnicities that would not have been considered white in the past. We have had to define ourselves by our landscape. Uh, mm. And th- th- that plays into an interesting thing in history that I'm, I'm hoping to kind of get to talk to about um, with, uh, with these here. Where, where are we exactly? We, we're in the, um, the, one of the UCM's uh, famous landscape wings here where we have multiple large-scale dioramas of different... Uh, landscaped regions of the united states here we have some oh wow the... it just goes on forever yeah and ever and ouch oh it's a oh. wall here y- yeah 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 it's it's a really really good perspective on the yeah really great perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's all different mm-hmm. types we have coastal regions forest regions the prairies plains everything Ooh. and anything yeah it's yeah it's quite remarkable in a way and they're almost so they're so reminiscent of paintings i mean I can't help but mm-hmm. think of them as landscape paintings or at least that history attached to it. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's it's part mm-hmm. of the reason, you know, that we have our tour here today is if you haven't guessed it already, we're talking about American landscapes. Landscapes. <laughs> oh, America. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> American landscapes. <laughs> or landscape. Yeah, landscapes here. I mean, this 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 yeah. hall potentially goes on forever. So really all landscapes. But I think. I mean, when aren't you in a landscape? Mm. That's true. If we're talking about landscape painting from a European perspective, I guess it's worth pointing out that at least in parts of Europe that went on to define a lot of what we think of as European painting, landscape was considered a very low form of art. The French considered it 
for a time, you know, it was just above still life in terms of uh, in terms of content, you know. Right, right. The uh, the French sort of it tried to graph art, you know. <laughs> yeah. They were like subject matter and technique could kind of uh, define how good of an artist you were. Yeah, weirdly kind of still does, doesn't it? But uh, mm. no, no, no. But <laughs> I play. I that's my jab at art school. No, well, well, I think it's interesting too because if we're going to talk about, I think later into manifest destiny and this sort of Western uh, preservation and gaze in the Americas, we do need to kind of go back to Europe for a little bit and cover our bases there because a lot of that I think feeds into that sort of realm and yeah. romantic paintings definitely it's it's interesting though too i mean i don't know too much about this this aspect of painting and i know um zan you can cover it a bit more i do want to kind of point out too it's i always find it fascinating to see the um sort of like er, this this sort of uh early renaissance backgrounds to paintings mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. flemish ones i always find them quite fun i remember being mm -hmm. completely mystified and confused upon what seeing a like flemish painting of you know the lamenting of Jesus, and then there's a <laughs> castle in the background? That always threw me off. I mean, the the Dutch had quite a few, um, let's say, unique <laughs> contributions to painting that, yeah. um, uh, that were not really, you weren't seeing elsewhere in Europe. I mean, if, if we're talking about the French, and, you know, the French... Okay, they considered a landscape low art. Right. Um because it did not have the high concept things that they associated with good art. It didn't have, you know, kings in it and biblical scenes. But you know, you did run into artists like famously Poussin being mm. one of them who who the French considered the greatest artist. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was French. Well, and he was basically doing landscapes, but he would paint in some small people into the foreground to uh, basically reference an obscure biblical story. Um, or mm -hmm. you know, Not always obscure, but I mean, it's quite different from, I think, Renaissance paintings that have that that can have depth and perspective to them, but are themselves kind of trying to imitate Roman frescoes, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, I think... Um, yeah. Well, like, it's interesting when you're saying about, like, in Poussin's case, having the, the, uh, the main characters or these sort of figures, if you will, kind of mm -hmm. there, but almost as if they were blending into this sort of scenery and yeah. background. It just reminds me of... Um, you know, John Constable's paintings of yeah. specifically landscapes where, you know, I think those are always kind of, you know, I guess more newer in the spectrum of these things, but like, yeah, that that's, that's coming out. I think later, yeah. um, Con Constable is a whole other <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, um, I know. It's, but oh I mean, gosh. at least, at least like to, to put this in perspective, because we we can talk about um, the, uh, the the British painters as well that are doing landscapes. But to, to put this in contrast, Europe is kind of split Protestant artists, Catholic artists. Right, yeah. For the Dutch and the Flemish, they, when they do landscape paintings, they were loaded with 
biblical imagery because for the Dutch, they were not as into representational uh, Mm -hmm. paintings of uh, Christian ideas. They actually, for a time, went through an iconoclastic stage because they didn't like the idea that a model would have to pose to be Jesus or Mary Mm. or someone because they didn't like the idea of tying them down to a person who could be potentially full of sin and stuff. Interesting. So they, uh, they, they would have not, not liked that idea that like you're looking, you're supposed to be looking at a painting contemplating the Virgin Mary, but really you know that it's probably an actress and possibly a prostitute that the painter hired to pose as Mary. And they found that very disturbing. So they chose kind of less direct, more abstract representations of biblical ideas. You know, this is where their still lifes and their landscapes become, you know, more of their their idea of art Basically because they do not have the things that the rest of Europe, that the basically Southern and Catholic Europe prioritizes. They, the Dutch, you know, they, they did not have the Catholic idolatry and they were, I I hesitate to say democratic because they weren't Mm -hmm. really a democracy, um, but they were, uh, you know, they're, their political power was much more localized. They would not have revered a painting of someone from the House of Orange the way that someone in France would of, uh, you know, one of the Louis or something. Right, yeah. They did not have that monarchy that was that powerful. They respected businessmen. You know, basically Mm. kind of, they, they kind of more have had an oligarchy if anything you know basically business leaders were expected to run their communities and towns so they did not have the desire to see those things painted so what you get is they now will appreciate landscape paintings as you know sort of these warnings about how turbulent the world can be Mm. their seascape paintings are often very you know violent waves and ships getting tossed about and and the Dutch also have this thing where, okay, they don't have, they're not a particularly large uh, place. Yeah. They do not have the ancient Roman ruins to lay claim to like the Italians do. They don't consider their artists geniuses. Their artists are craftspeople. So you see this quite a lot. Vermeer does it in uh, his painting, The History of Painting. And and sort of what you were talking about with mm-hmm. the castle, they sort of posit in, in the Baroque era. So we're talking about the 1600s and 1700s um, and, and a little earlier, but they posit that it would be kind of like in America if you told a story about like the pilgrims, but people were wearing like. 1940s clothes like that was the aesthetic like wild like kind of like every now and then when we do a remake of shakespeare but we set it a couple decades back you know yeah very true the dutch were kind of into this idea of what if we put this kind of faux medieval aesthetic because to them that was already remember that's already in the past for them the medieval period is already behind them 
they're kind of thinking, what if we put a medieval aesthetic onto these biblical stories instead of a Roman aesthetic, which is what the Italians and French would have done. Right, they, exactly. They, they, were, they were using their own local history. They did not consider themselves to be the inheritors of some ancient history the same way the mm. Italians would of uh, Rome uh, and, and France to you know a similar extent. They were really proud of their land, though, yeah, because they had they they had the fjords, they had uh, basically all of this territory that they had reclaimed from the sea. Mm. You know, they basically drained the land and you know could make it into farmable territory, and ruthlessly had to defend it from the Spanish, who they were at war with on and off. So the land and landscapes were such a sense of pride to them. And I feel like when you get to the Americas, you know, this all seems like such completely ancillary history to us. But if you look at us where we do not have a royal family, I mean, we have the founding fathers, but I don't really, I don't (laughs) think you can really even, even with all the weird revenants they get, they're, they're not, um, I don't I still don't think you can put them in the same category as regal paintings from Europe. Yeah, no, no. You way. have to look at the American landscape more in terms of the Dutch because we in the Americas and and remember this is thinking from a uh colonialist European perspective. Mm-hmm. They did not see the Americas as some ancient historical lineages that we were inheriting. They were looking at the lands that we had fought for and uh, were trying to claim as our own. That was the yep. pride of, of being an American, was the, the, the conquest and defending of this land of uh, possibility. Right, right, exactly. So I, I think, I think in, in the briefest of terms, that is where... <laughs> we're getting our, right. uh, our 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 sort of weird implications of uh of american landscape painting from the from the past at least no it's wow thank you for bringing us up to speed on that there's a lot of things in there that i did <laughs> i was not aware of i mean it, the landscape in particular um in the more you know dutch flemish regions are not necessarily my my forte however it's mm-hmm. it's interesting though getting that um context before i think we can talk about this gaze into wilderness in the americas in particular because mm-hmm. without it i feel like this discussion would be very different and this analysis yeah. could be potentially different and, and clouded in a way too because you know everything has history attached to it context that comes with it nuance that comes to it and there's sort of yeah. reasons for things that happen um, mm-hmm. And there's a lineage that's followed. And yeah. I mean, why I think I, I wanted to tailor our exhibit here a little bit towards, you know, American landscape painting is because there's sort of this interest in that, you know, the gaze into the wilderness, um, the grandness, the manifest destiny attached to that and the kind of never ending kind of imaginative landscape that we've seen in some of these and also i think you can Mm -hmm. you can look at that in terms of the national parks and other things and i think that's just sort of a question that i know at least i have which is kind of like you know why 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 were they Mm -hmm. making these why are we making these and why or how is probably the better way to phrase it 
do you kind of like adapt or understand this lineage before mm-hmm. you paint a landscape or before you talk about a landscape or before you even look at one in real life mm-hmm. you have to be always analytical <laughs> you're asking you're asking a I'm lot asking of a lot. prerequisites for people yeah that's that's the thing too i don't want to i don't want to come off as this like you need to read every theory in the world before you can do anything no no <laughs> and that's the worst way to be about a lot of these things i i think yeah. it's more my fascination with residues and histories that are unearthed and also kind of not really talked about but totally have an impact in not only the things we consume Mm -hmm. but like you know the artwork that we look at and our ideas on certain things Mm -hmm. and what we were taught and i think you know in one of these ways the sort of grand landscape paintings are although beautiful and amazing and i think that's important in a way, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, fictionalized. And maybe that's a bold mm-hmm. thesis statement and we can get into it. But I don't know. There's something a bit uncomfortable with that. But maybe before mm-hmm. we push it into that realm of sort of this idea of Western expansion that's for sure going to come up, I think, you know, it's it's that question that I kind of have and I'm, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. I mean, I know... Because mm-hmm. the European lineage of landscape painting the one that doesn't necessarily bleed into the americas is very different um mm-hmm. that's also not necessarily to say that it's it doesn't have his his, his history yeah. attached to it but it's like you said you know in a more french version it's it's praising a monarchy or a more historical painting i know that was sort of yeah. the big thing for a while and in, yeah you know so the, these things all have lineages to them so i guess for me and the sort of framing of this exhibit is that is this question of how do we you know, in this in this land, mm-hmm. look at wilderness and how has it come from, you know, the 1700s to present day 2021? Yeah. Well, you have to ask yourself the question, why are landscapes have always been very popular in the United right. States as a uh, just as, as a subject for painting. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should investigate that as well. Yeah. And, and interrogate it, I guess. Because, you know, I, to go back to Constable for a second, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at Constable's work, and I think people in the United States might look at Constable's work and be like, wow, these are these technically incredible um, landscape paintings. And because they're... Uh, you know, because they're from the UK, they're kind of, they're very quaint. They're, even if you're more aware in the United States, there's something kind of more innocent about it, I think. Yeah, they're kind of quiet, too. Yeah, but the thing crucially missing, and I think this is the thing that we have to keep in mind as we go forward, is Mm -hmm. landscape paintings are just as much or any composition of landscape is just as much of a composition as any other piece of art. There are things Mm. deliberately put in and left out. Yes. And in Constable's work, you know, people were so swept away by his light effects. Um, One of my professors in undergrad would talk about how when they hung his work for an exhibition, people were so amazed by uh, his how uh how beautiful and realistic 
the shimmer effect that he got of the light reflecting off the leaves on the trees that other artists suddenly saw his work and started going around and last minute, you know, the stuff's up <laughs> on the wall and are trying to add these flecks of white uh, to their landscape paintings. Interesting. Crucially, though, with Constable's stuff is he's leaving out the things that are going on in the time that he's painting. Yeah. The Industrial Revolution. And uh, so and also people being basically removed from land they had been on for generations and kind of had been free to wander and now sort of being forced to settle in permanent villages, towns, and, you know, to a large extent, urban areas to cities. Yeah. And so Constable's work is very much a privileged fantasy as much as anything else that we're going to encounter in the Americas. Constable is, you know, uh, you know, he uh his his family owned land. He uh he's 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 portraying he's singing a very specific song of idyllic pastoral British life that you um that isn't necessarily true for its time even. Mm-hmm. Compare that I think to Turner. Mm. <laughs> Now, I know you're at least a little more familiar with Turner and his landscapes. I am, yes. And I would argue I enjoy them a lot more. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I'm going to ruin them for you. No, why would you no, do that? No, I, I, I genuinely do like Turner. <laughs> Turner, you know, is coming more from a sublime perspective. Turner is showing yeah. kind of almost deliberately disturbing things in his landscape, although his technique is not aiming to be photorealistic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, he's... Turner isn't painting idyllic scenes of the countryside. He's painting, you know, windstorms and trains running through uh, the countryside and very famously has a painting of a a slave ship throwing Mm -hmm. six slaves overboard into the uh, water to be eaten by sharks. Um because they they wouldn't be considered um fit to sell once they arrived at their Jesus. destination. And I'm I'm not saying this in a way to ruin Turner because I think he's I think his paintings are incredible. I don't really like the term ahead of its time, but I think you look at Turner paintings and they do not feel as dated as a John Constable painting. Uh yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah. Um Turner's Turner's work lives in in a more timeless art space you know he's talking about yeah. bigger ideas of european industrialization and politics mm-hmm. a critique i've heard now is that um for people of color this is kind of um uh, this is kind of exploiting their plight for his own paintings um, cause Turner is still a sublime artist mm. and for the sublime artists, your, your appeal from the get go is I am showing something disturbing to people that are in a comfortable place. <sighs> and yeah, that is, that is the thing we have to think about with mm-hmm. Turner. I don't think it, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to like <laughs> pretend this diminishes 
him as an artist or anything, but these are things we have to be critical of that he is painting for a yeah. for a British let's but let's just say white audience. A an audience that at least enjoys some of the privileges of the, you know, I think Turner would admit disturbing atrocities uh that he is depicting which i think both of us have run into in our own art where we want to show things we want to depict and represent things that are bad things that are happening to draw attention to them to teach people about them and to explore the implications of those things but we would not do it in this way where we use the bodies of the exploited exploiting them one more time yeah that's for the imagery of our art yeah that's a dangerous game and um yeah yeah it's not a good that's a really good point actually and yeah no i i don't think it diminishes the 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 importance of the art and where it stands Mm -hmm. and its influence into contemporary artworks but if we're being critical it's important to know that right like Mm -hmm. to, to understand the implications of that and to not repeat because yeah exploiting the already exploited and for mm-hmm. specifically your audience is i think we can say wrong mm-hmm. or at least has very damning uh implications to it and with it yeah so yeah i think that's sort of the fear in the in the beginning stages of making artworks that can be either considered political or trying to make a statement i i feel like you encounter this a lot in painting um specifically of trying to represent a situation literally mm-hmm. and through you know naturalistic rendition renditions of it and that's uh if you're not coming from that perspective if you don't understand it it is quite literally an illustration of something you are using as decoration and it can mm-hmm. be uh, just I don't know. I, I have I have a lot of strong opinions on this, but for, for just to, to to move to towards our subject, yeah, I think it's um, yeah, it, it it's just it's it's not only dangerous; it it hurts a message to begin yeah, with because I don't it, think you should be. It's pain. Mm-hmm. It's painful for people who people whose ancestors really did suffer that. Exactly. Exactly. You know the this the sort of. I guess the modern equivalent of this might be kind of like a torture porn documentary type thing that is like, you know, maybe it is showing a privileged audience something unsettling. But I think the point that was meant to be made about Turner is you have to acknowledge that there are people who are who this the, the actions depicted more closely uh connect to Mm -hmm. and they will have a different experience in how it affects them because the things depicted there affect them yeah using i guess both types of effects both a and e Mm. yeah true 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 (laughs) i think i did that correct yeah that sounds grammatically right (laughs) when when the when the scholars one day uh put these uh conversations down in tomes right um as they when, do when this is when this is all that remains of civilization and the monks <laughs> of the future are transcribing <laughs> it into future latin um <laughs> they'll decide how to spell that i love this future latin that's great oh my gosh yeah. 
Hi there, my name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. But yeah, uh, that that aside, I mean, so let's 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 do it. Let's let's jump across the pond to where that slave ship was heading. Mm. And so, America, we like landscapes. We do like landscapes. You could, and there's lots of reasons for that. <laughs> yeah, do tell. <laughs> well, did you have particular uh, artists or examples you wanted to kind of draw on from our our history? <laughs> So I I have some more contemporary examples, which I'm more familiar with. Um, I mm-hmm. am aware of the work of, like, Thomas Cole, for instance. Uh, yeah, we've touched on him before. Yeah, I think we mentioned this when we were in the bunker. Um, we've talked about this mm. a bit. But I know you know a little bit more about it. I, I think, yeah, Western or... um. Yeah, I guess sort of Western landscape painting, right? Or like this sort of yeah. time period where in America's history there was that that movement west and the westward expansion mm-hmm. specifically. This need mm-hmm. to to like rediscover a frontier that I think you had mm-hmm. happen when colonization first started, or at least British colonization that is, and then yeah. the Americas formed and then pushed, or the United States is formed, I should say. Mm-hmm. And there's something in that that I wanted to kind of fixate on and maybe we can do a kind of look to the past and look to the future to, to respond. Yeah. You know, in Westward Expansion, you're seeing the complete annihilation of indigenous peoples that live in those mm-hmm. regions, either forcibly removed or, you know, murdered for mm-hmm. the land. And this push to, you know, California, San Francisco and to settle and to just completely claim as much land as possible. I am paraphrasing for the sake of, I think, time and where we're at in, in our tour. But because there's a lot to unpack here, but let's just, you know, this is just the straight up kind of simple timeline as is. And then there's this thing that I think is a bit kind of uncomfortable where you get a very sudden flip to preservation. You know, national parks are founded, there's this idea mm-hmm. of, preserving nature, preserving land, the American landscape as we Mm -hmm. kind of know it through painting, Mm -hmm. through actual protection of land and and so on. And where I think that's bizarre is kind of where that line is drawn and how quick it was. And this sort of ignoring and uh, unknowingness how to deal with that past. Yeah. So the the work that I know that I think contemporary-wise is rather interesting is Julie Mertu's paintings, and in particular mm-hmm. the ones that she did in the San Francisco uh, Museum of Art titled uh, House Eon 1 and 2, which are mm-hmm. 27 feet high by 32 feet wide. These paintings are massive. Just like to work big. They're huge, and they're they're <laughs> meant to be they're meant to be huge and kind of reflect on this you know, the national parks and they're they're in a response to this um, 
kind of thing that I've just kind of laid out, right? Of this sort of flip on Western expansion. Yeah. And, you know, in the in in a video interview with her about the works, there's something that she says that's very interesting to not only my own research, mm -hmm. but this idea that I was hinting at earlier where there's histories embedded in our culture and in our uh, kind of consumption of, of art and media and other things that I think needs to sometimes be activated in mm -hmm. order to, I think, kind of reckon with, because America's new, you know, we're a younger up and coming country, if you will. <laughs> and it doesn't Have you heard it, about this hot new place called America. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Um, God, I miss, I miss, uh, mid Atlantic accents, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you're, you're, you're mid Atlantic. I mean, yeah, that's true. I am, I guess. There's nothing stopping you. <laughs> That's true. I got to start. <laughs> oh, new year, new me. You know, we, it, this, it's a country trying to understand its past. You know, Europe's had centuries to kind of try to reckon and deal with its history. The United States necessarily hasn't, and is still, I think, navigating that. But there's a, you know, in mm -hmm. the works, which are massive, of course, she has these sort of underpaintings of multiple blurred out photographs that are of scenes from, you know, and this is in 2017, so the race riots that are happening, different encounters with police brutality, um, different, you know, massive landscape scenes, these things that kind of recall that color scheme to some of these grand American mm -hmm. paintings or landscape paintings. Yeah. They don't necessarily, I don't think the paintings don't necessarily sit as the stereotypical landscape that we would see, right? You know, I yeah. if you're not familiar with Julie Meritu's paintings, they're usually very abstracted and expressive, for lack of a better term, and definitely not representational, except for some of them, I guess. But in this... She does a lot. She does a lot. It's, it, I'm... Well, for, for, you know what, for how big her paintings are, I say let her, let her do it. Oh, lot. yeah, no, they, <laughs> they, they are fantastic. I mean, we saw them in the Venice Biennale, the 2019 one, but they're, yeah, you know, they're yeah. just not for me particularly, but maybe they're for you. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> highly recommend checking it out, but you know. They're, they're not for merit me, but merit you? Marriage? Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe there's enough. something there. There's something there. But yeah, so basically, like, what what is interesting is that you know, her point of doing this is to activate one's senses and something to respond to in the painting already to then go over yeah. top of. But for this, you know, for this topic, I was kind of curious on that, on this, mm -hmm. how do you respond contemporarily to the history behind the landscape paintings to do right. landscapes? And I think clearly there's a separation between Mm, dare I say, fine art world landscape versus a more, I think, aesthetic commodity approach. We don't have time to get into Benjamin and all types <laughs> of that in theory, but you know, I think that's yeah. where some of my uncomfort comes within more contemporary painting, not at the scale of understanding those implications. Yeah, I... I mean, mo most of the, the time that I've spent contemplating landscape was in undergrad, you mm. know, living in Montana, because I think the landscape is what Montana is famous for. And I right. was kind of fascinated by that connection, um, you know, first learning about uh, Dutch landscape <laughs> and that since Montana, aside from, you know, cowboys and I guess the Irish Brigade. 
Right. <laughs> um, and I guess Evil Knievel. Um, oh. Montana does not have that, um, that uh, far-reaching historical impact. You know, right. you know, because there have been significant politicians and citizens from Montana. But Montana's identity is very much wrapped up in their environment and where they come from. That is a big thing for people from Montana. Sure. And even what part of Montana you're from. You know, if you're from the plains or if you're from uh, the mountains or, you know, if you're from like down by uh, closer to Yellowstone or something, Mm. you know, if, if you're from a mining town or if you're from a ski town, you know, um, there's there's a lot of discrepancies, but all of them very much are wrapped up in the landscape as their as part of their identity. And to a to a very different uh, extent, also, the people that are transplants into Montana mm. have a great affinity for what to them reads as wilderness. And this is right. a bit of where we have to talk about the difference between how um indigenous and non-indigenous people interpret uh the landscape of the americas uh where historically you know if we're going back to the national parks and stuff they're they i would say are objectively a good thing and you know it's wrapped up in all of the other complicated feelings you can have about theodore roosevelt yeah um where he is one of my favorite presidents. I don't say that as someone that signs off on everything he did. I just think he's a fascinating individual po- and politician. And he is a complicated person. Hmm. And, you know, that being said, we've had to sort of look at the ideas that, okay, um, there were people that were political philosophers, people that were thinking hard about what makes a good citizen. And they outlined laws that they thought this is what makes a good citizen. You know, for the founding fathers, they're thinking about different freedoms and rights to property. For Theodore Roosevelt, he's thinking about rights to recreation and land and, um, you know, a, a man's relationship to nature yeah what gets overlooked when you know you're a uh upper class white man in historical america you overlook a lot of other things you overlook contemporary racial theory and because it just didn't exist back then you know (laughs) right teddy roosevelt had some you know like a lot of other people at the time you know was swayed by eugenics because yeah. it seemed it seemed like the the solution <laughs> and i yes i, I realize how how and yes Ooh. as a jew i realize how weighted that word is um <laughs> but it seemed it it seemed like a progression of industrializing democracy right you know yeah um like that we're going to breed the poverty and deviance out of ourselves like uh like we're cattle jesus so you have to look at the fact that, oh, uh, the guy that founded the Sierra Club, turns out he was pretty racist. Yeah. yeah. Y- you, you know, even recently we're seeing, you know, the, um, the, 
j- just you know the, you can have the cops called on you for being black enjoying central park because you're bird watching um yeah it's uh, we we have to look at who because these parks are good things i think yeah uh, on on the whole but we have to look at the way they were set up who were they made for who was made to enjoy them and when you have to confront the fact that a lot of parks um if not kind of in in a way all parks are made on land taken away from uh the people that lived there originally it's not even true wilderness that we're protecting we saw it as oh man bad for environment remove man from environment and you know you see this in australia and you see it in north and south america the removal of indigenous people from some of these environments has been disastrous yeah for a lot of these places because those cultures were a part of that ecosystem and this is the thing to really be careful when you look at modern environmentalism because there still is a strain of this you know um there still is a strain of this in modern environmentalism in the idea that humans should leave nature completely untouched yes and to do that you're denying the thousands of years that humans uh lived with nature and people learned and grew with it Mm -hmm. and that it is sustainable to have human interaction with nature so you know uh, there there's wilderness itself in the united states is something of a construct as it is in a lot of other colonized landscapes in the world so when you paint these landscapes you know whether you're bierstadt uh you know uh or coal you're painting this construct this idea of wilderness as untouched Mm. and as we have found out you know more and more through uh studying human history there's very few places on earth where humans never existed to some capacity right yeah it's we are natural things and we are a part of (laughs) we should start to reintegrate the idea of the human into the landscape because omitting us from the landscape has you know is a part of the genocide if we're being honest if we're being frank you know the because the 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 myth that the American West was wide open and uncivilized and unsettled directly contributed to, uh, you know, uh, settlers who were going out there to make a better life for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they, they were sold this lie. Yeah, exactly. And whether they were malicious towards native Americans or not, they contributed to that genocide because of that myth yeah wow mm-hmm. no it's uh it's a lot <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's a lot in processing and this is exactly kind of what i was uh getting at with that where there's just so much there it's interesting when you talk about it as as the landscape as a construct too it's almost you know a nice callback to earlier when you were talking about how landscapes are you know 
constructed. They are composed yeah. uh, in, a, in a painting. You know, there yeah. is intention on what is being put where. And well, it's so you true. See, you see this, you see this so deliberately in um, a lot of kind of the early American painters that are, you know, living on the East Coast, kind of like even yeah. North and South. But like, let's let's like look at, you know, Winslow Homer and uh, like William Sidney Mount. Mm. You know, they're depicting a lot of stuff that's happening in New England. But, you know, New England, even in like, you know, the 17 and 1800s, there's this idea that New England is used up well-worn territory and that we need to be heading west. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the that's the fascinating thing about all of it. Right. It it is the idea that we're as Americans are meant to inherit this land. There's yeah. a religious component to it. There's, you know, a racial component to it. Mm -hmm. But it was that it was that mythology that Americans were there to conquer this continent and to try to build something better out of it to be productive yeah. whatever that <laughs> might mean yeah exactly or you know exploit it but um yes no but it's it's you know it's all there right it's all mm -hmm. in these in these landscapes and the information is available that's what was so interesting to me about the the julia maritu paintings of the the mm -hmm. actual intent of embedding the history yeah. within a painting but not yeah. showing it. It wasn't mm -hmm. about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to explain it in advance yeah. to the work, I think is important, but it's really yeah. for a response. It's not about the literalness, like we were kind of talking about with the Turner painting and the sort of, you know, yeah. issues with, with showing specific things, you know, you, yeah, you know, cause they're, they're there. It, mm -hmm. and it's sort of this, you know, how do you respond to this in a modern? I mean, the, the sense? interesting, the interesting thing about Moretu is, you know, she's been in the American painting scene for a while. I think she is kind yeah. of one of the contemporary painting giants, one of the people oh, yeah. that's active <laughs> right now. Who, yeah, just she, she is a part of our scene. Um, and I, I would kind of consider one of the big contemporary American painters. That being said, she was born in Ethiopia. So yeah. I feel like she also has kind of an interesting perspective as, uh, you know, I think someone of mixed heritage and mm -hmm. mixed nationality. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. I think she has that, that really uh, enormous historical perspective in all of her mm. work. You know, I think regardless of what you think of her work, yeah, she she always tries to bring that. She's someone that does her research and tries to look at those things uh, uh, in an in an mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. way. I mean, if we just scooch a little bit down the hall, oh yeah. Um, now you'll see these. They sort of look like I you might think Chinese Japanese landscape oh. paintings. Yeah. Uh, you know, these are, you know, these landscapes look like the very stylized, idealized sort of East Asian mm. landscapes, these very pointy mountains right. on the Pacific Rim. But if you look very closely out at these landscapes, 
you'll notice they're entirely made of trash. Oh. Yeah, and these huh. landscapes are based on the work of uh, Yao Lu, oh. uh, who's uh, born in China, but makes kind of these uh, Chinese-Japanese-inspired... He uh, will, will make these basically composing trash in ways that look like those sort of historic, stylized landscapes in a very interesting way. And you kind of have to, uh, you know, in the one way, it's it, it sort of, from a, from a non-Western perspective, this is, uh, huh. this is dealing with the industrialization and enormous, uh, almost insurmountable idea of the environmental problems that faced East Asia. Yeah. And the all the great riches it has brought the region but the in the looming environmental disaster that it has sort of caused in part yeah. you know because again china and japan uh those are those are places that have that identity with the land those are ancient mm. ancient cultures that have risen to some of the top global powers and have a very recognizable <laughs> landscape. Yes, yes. But it true. itself is threatened, and it is jeopardized by their own success mm. in a cruel, ironic, you know, perverse way. Yeah. No, I mean, the landscape, they're, they're remarkable and terrifying. Mm -hmm. These, yeah, these, uh, right? Images. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying and so well-composed. Uh-huh. But you, you're seeing composed. They're balanced yeah. in the same, with negative space, the same way mm -hmm. um, uh, a, you know, a Japanese woodblock print yeah. of Edo would be. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's that same, that same kind of thing, you know, of, mm -hmm. of not only composition, but of responding to the landscape and dealing with that history and in this mm -hmm. case, which is actually quite interesting, it is this this literalness that we were just talking yeah. about, right? Of how to not do that and how to not go about it this way. But, you know, I think in this case of Yao Lu's work, it's you're activating mm -hmm. that history through a recognizable mm -hmm. style and an important yeah. style and a traditional style. And... I guess kind of turning it on its head a little bit and, and showing it for now what it is or what it could be in this potential fright, which is really, mm -hmm. it's very different and it has to be treated differently than this sort of how we would go about um, mm -hmm. comparing the literalness in contemporary now American landscapes or Western landscapes even for, for that mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because that, that would be my hesitant to then just be like, oh, wow, well, no, this is literal. And Joe, you just said that. These can't be literal because that's dangerous. But this <laughs> is actually an interesting point of view and perspective that's necessary where, you know, different areas in the world, geographies like we were talking about earlier, although more, mm -hmm. you know, on the macro on the grander scale in this case, it's important to take in that to that consideration because I don't mm -hmm. know if abstract or... Um, you know, more blurred imagery makes sense to mm -hmm. 
to describe these yeah. types of landscapes. And maybe this this is one facet. There's other ones, of course, in the traditional oh, yeah. Eastern arts. But it is very, it's, wow. No, it's very, very so interesting. So I, I, what I what is interesting about this is, uh, like you just said, it's drawing on a very specific lineage of landscape paintings. Yeah. And I think now, if you want to, if you want to paint a landscape, that's fine. You know, yeah. Um, if you want to create a landscape and are asking people to take it critically, these are the things we have to think about. Yes. Like, what lineage of landscape are you in dialogue with? Yes. I mean, one of one of my favorite painters uh, that I had the pleasure of knowing was uh, Carolyn Caldwell mm. uh, as a Helena artist. And she did these really, really magnificent landscape paintings that were just blocks of color. And wow. I think really taught me that just one, how important color was, mm. but really right. how little you how how little you needed to suggest a landscape i've kind of it's kind of been an interesting you know challenge and just sort of game now to like look at anytime two blocks of color intersect no matter where mm. you are about your day and like trying to imagine it as a landscape because yeah. you kind of have that ability to trick your eye and just anytime you see two lines collide with each other any direction it's going, try to imagine it as a horizon line. Ooh. Yeah, it, it's it's a fun, interesting <laughs> exercise. I was going to say. Yeah, but I think her work, you know, even though they were pretty simple landscapes, I think, and I think of pretty stereotypical Montana things of barns and cows. Sure. Um, She had... Uh, and I'm I'm speaking in the past tense because she has uh, passed away mm. uh, a couple of years ago uh, to cancer. She had a sensibility to them to know what to sh what to just just how much to put into it to make you realize what you are seeing because right. you know even if those paintings do play into a narrative. Or they they do they are they do t play into I should say a history of painting that has been unfortunately exploiting mm. the landscape of Montana and the people that live there. I have to say, when I looked at when the first time I saw those paintings in Helena, and then I was driving back to Bozeman, I looked at the mountains a different way mm. on that drive home. I'll never forget that interesting because yeah. of those paintings because of her making me realize how many amazing colors happen when you're watching light effects occur on such a large scale you you see a whole new landscape and i think that's the thing that she accomplished in her career uh with her paintings was getting you to see those see those landscapes in a completely new way. Mm. Yeah. And you know, I'll I'll never really forget that. That's it it has helped me in my own painting and it has made me sit and appreciate the landscape <laughs> itself because her paintings at the end of the day just like all of these paintings 
are not a replacement mm. and Damn. cannot be a replacement for what we have because I think we have this idea and you know this is I don't think this is specific to Western society, but it is prevalent is in our attempt to preserve things we have that we take some comfort in documenting it before it's gone yeah um you know you see this with uh charles russell paintings where you know i think those are coveted you know not only for russell's technical skill but like we feel like we preserve the old west through russell's paintings and you know, when things are gone, they are gone. The painting is not the thing. Mm, interesting, yeah. And we can only hope that the art informs the real thing. Wow, yeah. That's... <laughs> no, that's a really good point. And I think an important one, too, to kind of summarize a lot of this up. Because I think that's an important notion, as well, is to not necessarily dismiss the beauty mm-hmm. in the landscapes either and in, in the life and nature around us well, there's there's a reason they're so popular there's yeah the reason they're seductive as paintings yeah, you know absolutely. and it's not because like you know you're looking at a landscape and you're like oh i enjoy this because <laughs> i do i enjoy this because i hate native americans oh, no because no. it's a beautiful painting no absolutely absolutely <laughs> And like all art and like all things we talk about here at the Uncanny County Museum, we are we are going to try to have our cake and eat it, too, because we're going to enjoy things and we're going to be critical of them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that balance is the way forward. Yeah, I I 100 percent agree. And I think it's important um, and that's why I don't necessarily want to dismiss, you know, enjoying these things either, because I think that mm-hmm. that too is important. I just think as well, it's important to be critical and understanding and recognize. And and I think coming to terms mm-hmm. with histories and, and, and finding the ways um, forward through voices who are meant to carry that. Right. And mm-hmm. not necessarily be defensive on certain things. Yeah. But I, but I also think that it's, yeah, important as well to appreciate certain things as they are and mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. sort of recognize, I think, the beauty in this sort of everyday or this landscaped aspect and, you know, kind of like the paintings you were describing as they are and that that harmonizing of color that comes to be. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think at the same time, too, in the sort of the global or even the more grander perspective of these things to be more critical and... Mm, you know yeah but uh, you know i think ultimately the the thing that's probably going to be the way that we can continue talking about these things into the future and we keep talking about these artists is having a more inclusive art yeah. curriculum because yeah you know the 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 problem with all, I I think the problem is not studying these paintings. The problem is only studying these paintings because exactly. if your if your visual education of the American West begins and ends with Charles Russell or John Wayne movies or yeah. something, Jesus, 
going forward, we're going to need more voices. We're going to need indigenous and people of color's landscapes because, you know, it, that perspective is missing a lot of the time from people's art educations. And that it, it, it is a vantage point. I think the, the more we have, the more we can understand how people were yeah. and how people are now. It's, uh, it's just being more inclusive to humanity because we're, you know, it, it, it's, it's just how we get to go forward. It's not, it's, it's talking, you know, not just about Picasso, but talk about <laughs> all of the other artists because you know we know picasso was a dick yeah exactly. he shouldn't be the only artist we study yeah. but a lot of times he's one of the only artists that people can name yeah no i i i agree that's that really is the way forward i think is this inclusivity and mm -hmm. expansion on the topics mm -hmm. and knowledge because that's really mm -hmm. where we're going to be able to criticize these things and, and understand them further and enjoy yeah. them. I think better too, because it's not yeah. just a restricted lens anymore. It's, it's more open. Well, yeah, but I mean, look, look right now, all the effort that's going into recovering indigenous knowledge and science on how to take care of, uh, how to take care of, uh, these landscapes. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is, fortunately, you're seeing more and more people uh, come around on that idea. It, uh, and I, it does seem to be happening, um, at least in some small part in Montana. You know, I know there's a project that's underway to uh, basically kind of rebuild the prairie. Oh, wow in in uh, eastern montana and basically have a big connected network and you know in bozeman this is happening in the crazy mountains this is happening our con the human connection to the environment we both will suffer if we are cut off from it i think because mm -hmm. we we need the earth <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it is a relationship that I think has to be fostered more and I don't think it will it will help trying to cut ourselves off from it. I agree. For now let's mm -hmm. stay out of cyberspace and being projecting our consciousnesses into <laughs> Well, right now, <laughs> right now people need to stay inside, Joe. Well, yeah, yes, that's that's true. I meant like literally putting your consciousness in the computer like Johnny Depp in Transcendence, but you know, that too. I guess that's really what a Zoom call is, if you think about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. Well, on that note. Mm -hmm. On that note, I would like to actually throw back a couple of weeks ago and just something that I realized that I said. Oh. Uh, you know, now that, now that we got a shiny new president. Mm, very true. Yep. Um, I would like to uh, say that uh, while talking about erotica <laughs> a little while ago when I used to work at uh, a bookstore in St. Petersburg, Florida, I mentioned Susan Rice's erotica when I met uh, Anne Rice's erotica, oh no. fam famed, famed vampire uh, <laughs> <laughs> author Anne Rice. 
Susan Rice has no published erotica that we know of. Right. So I would just like to to correct myself. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's probably a good call. <laughs> My moment of misspeaking. No. <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine, though? What a scandal. Or it'd be fun. I, I mean, do, who knows? I mean, I'm sure we have. There's got to be at least one. There's got to be multiple politicians that have written smut at some point. Yeah. I mean, statistically, probably. I didn't pass statistics. Yeah. So take that as you will. <laughs> I got through the first day of statistics and then changed my uh, and then dropped my I... Bachelor of Science. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, take 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 all of take... our uh, assumptions with a grain of salt. See, here's the thing. Here's what I understand about statistics from my one day in that class. Uh-huh. Um, Do enlighten us. I feel like I can make certain assertions because there's probably at least one person for whom that is true. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally how I assume most things. Oh my gosh. Well, what is that? It's like 80% of statistics you hear are false. And that's like the joke of, or something. Yeah, I'm the, butchering yeah, that, but you know what I mean? The made up That's it. Yeah, did you know that 80% of statistics are made up on the <laughs> that's, spot? That's so Which, great. I love it. You know, Joe, that was a, that was a funnier <laughs> joke uh, maybe five uh, years ago. No, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I just, you know, I said it and I ran the historical implications of where we're at right now. Um, yikes. Maybe somebody <laughs> took it way too far. And that's how we ended up in conspiracy hell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, God. <laughs> well, from conspiracy hell. <laughs> yeah. Go read a book, it, you know, and don't go down. Well, the... I mean, didn't we just, didn't we find out that uh, one of the QAnon guys is uh, a failed screenplay writer? Oh, my God. Yeah. the um The one who goes by uh nerd no is it nerd revolt neon revolt that's it that's their name i think they went by it was neon revolt who sounds like a character from the matrix was a failed screenplay writer uh who went to hollywood and didn't get picked up and was from new jersey and this continues to be my theory on how a lot of things just become grand stories that people attach themselves to Mm -hmm. yeah so wow Jersey Devil strikes again. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Well, this has been a uh, fun and interesting conversation, as always. Yeah. Um, yeah. If uh, if you'd like to get in contact with the museum after hours, you can find us on Twitter at Uncanny Museum. You can find me Zan Peters at Xanosaurus on Instagram, and you can find me Josemino as at Josemino Art on Instagram. And we really love hearing from uh, our listeners, hearing your, mm-hmm. your input, uh, additional facts. We try to work those into uh, future uh, exhibits. And if you have suggestions of things for us to research, we also appreciate that as well. If you can find time in your busy schedule, we would really appreciate uh, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. Uh, ratings and reviews on your... Uh, podcatcher of choice to help more people find us um yeah and uh if you're done listening to uh two nerds talk for god knows how long (laughs) 
You can also check out Forced Football Facts, hosted by our friend Colby White. And uh, yeah, is that uh, anything else uh, we should be plugging? Uh, no, I think that's about it. I'll potentially have stuff coming out soon. I'll maybe promote on here, but until then, nothing from now. But, you know, yeah. just tell your friends and family members about us if you want to have some strange paleontology gossip <laughs> or question the implication of cars to lore you know yeah li- listen listen to it during dinner with your family and then, <laughs> and then and then and then talk about it later yeah a good instead of instead of book club it's podcast review club yes we start the conversation mm. like um like uh like like pepsi told us join the conversation absolutely from the conversation, um, from the Uncanny <laughs> County Museum, I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.